doing guys? It is episode number 13. Unlucky for some, but not for us. And actually, eerily, it is a Friday as well. I'm not superstitious. Once again, we have another awesome guest on the show. Um, Her name is Emma Myhill, who's a naturopath who specialises in nutritional therapy and iridology so uh hello emma hello thank you for coming on <laughs> good to be here and uh, hello keris of course morning well, it's it? nearly afternoon now it's actually half past 12 <laughs> we should probably say we've been chatting with emma for about three hours <laughs> prior to the podcast we should have recorded that there's a really. whole lot of nutritional do. chinwag going on <laughs> i was just kind of like going side to side like watching a tennis match watching you two <laughs> talk but very interested nonetheless so Emma, yeah, so uh, I've given you a very brief intro there. What is being a a naturopath? Okay, so the principles behind being a naturopath is believing in preventative measures. Mm -hmm. So trying to avoid disease in the first place. Yeah. Um, And that includes lifestyle factors, dietary factors, and and that's encompassing um, how you're breathing, to how you're eating, to Mm -hmm. what you're drinking, to how you're thinking. And then, but some people can be naturopaths and specialise in nutritional therapy and, and iridology, as I do. And others can be naturopaths and specialise in uh, being a herbalist, for example. So my two are just the route that I found most interesting, and that's the mm. route that I went down. I think it's like really interesting that you you point that out because I think nat- I don't know naturopath or nutritionist, whatever people just automatically assume it's just it's it's just purely food related. It's just nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And actually, nutritional therapy itself is more than just about food. It's You're looking at, well, I mean, food is medicine in the sense that it's actually having an effect mm. on the way that our genes behave. But so is our thinking pattern. And probably we'll discuss perhaps digestion, because that's one of my specialty areas. And, um, and we'll talk about the fact that your mood can actually have a massive effect on what's physically happening in your body, which... Is mind-blowing, actually. So, Emma, um, something that I would uh, certainly like to bring up with you is is that rumour has it there was once upon a time when you was a, a vegan. This is true. And, uh, <laughs> but there, there's also another rumour going around that last week was when you had your first steak. I did. Which yeah. is obscene. How, is. How, how can you go that long without eating a steak? It's like yeah. a, every other day occurrence for me. So talk, talk to me. Talk to me about being a vegan, you know, your reasons for being one, and obviously, you know, better yet, your reasons for then, you know, becoming a, a meat eater once again. Yeah, um, I think I was mentioning to Keris earlier, actually, that um, when I started university at 18, I left home and joined up to a new GP clinic. Yeah. And when you do that, they do, like, medical checks, random medical checks, and they measured my blood pressure. And this was two days after I'd left home and gone to uni and it was slightly raised and they said to me oh you should cut back on red meat and um I li- i'm a little bit of an extremist so i decided oh, sounds that- like it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i decided that cutting out red meat or meat entirely was the answer and i then became pescatarian and i thought that i was doing you know wonderful things for the world by not eating or contributing to meat intake um, and then, so I, I lived throughout, well, I was eating mainly fish. I mean, a university diet is not the best diet anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Southern>. <laughs> yeah, probably too much alcohol and 
Oreo cookies, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but I, I kind of, I, I got into Rose Elliot. She's um, a quite famous uh, cook, um, and she writes a lot of cookery books for vegetarians. Right. And she focuses on a lot of beans for, <laughs> for protein. Right. Um, and I, but I was still eating fish at that time. And then I went travelling after I finished uni. And nutrition hadn't was kind of in the, in the sideline, but I didn't understand really the word nutrition. Right. Um, and it was only when I was travelling, I was in Australia, and I managed to um, live with this insane guy, actually, who, um, for about three months, and he had this massive book, and it was about how food affects your body. And I was completely blown away by it. And I wanted more, and I had this thirst for more information. And the really old school kind of naturopathic thinking, which yeah. is that being a vegetarian is the right thing to do for health, which we know different nowadays. <laughs> so, so is that what that book was based on? Well, it was about, yeah, it was about eating more vegetables and, and fresh food. That then actually led me into finding about raw food. And I just thought, what an amazing concept. And there was, there was so much positive information I was reading about if we just live on raw food, it's full of... You hear these words about it's full of enzymes and it's rich in minerals and vitamins yeah. and, and you just think, okay, so this, this has got to be the answer. And also back in those days, and we're talking over 10 years ago now, um, it, it was about, um, uh, well, protein wasn't important um, and, and, and people didn't really understand how the body really worked, yeah. especially in that field. But I, w I then, on my way home, went via Thailand to a fasting retreat. And oh. um, I got into... And which I still actually value nowadays, which yeah. is you know, going on a, a bit of a juice fast, maybe for a week, or maybe having a day on the odd day where you just limit the amount of foods that you're eating just to give your body a, a break. And there's certainly a lot of evidence around calorie restriction having a, yeah. an anti-inflammatory effect on the body. So then I, I came home via Thailand doing that fasting Retreat felt amazing and thought, I want to run a juice shop. <laughs> As you do. Found yourself. <laughs> exactly. So I then um, didn't run a juice shop. I did at some point in my life, but that was a different time. And I moved up to Cambridgeshire to be an assistant to a raw food coach. Oh, wow. And um, that was probably the most depressing eight months of my life actually really? yeah i mean i mean it was it was all still very new what in terms would, of i can say what would a typical raw food breakfast lunch and dinner be well back then <laughs> it was i mean it's a little bit different now but back then uh, i was i was having agave nectar with cacao powder and almond milk as as a breakfast and you would constantly because you even though you'd be constantly putting together concoctions of things to yeah. try and imitate cooked food yeah. and more often than not you just end up having really bad flatulence all day <laughs> <laughs> and you know and there, there were there were great things you know having green smoothies you know is you know you can't knock that and having Fresh foods in your diet, you can't knock that mm. either. And there is an element that we do need to eat fresh foods, you know, in our diets, which is important. But there's no need to be a raw foodist or be a part of... Back, I mean, nowadays, it's a little bit um, more lenient, I suppose. But back then, it was a matter of 
you know, you'd go to social raw food events. You'd have to only go to social raw food events because you couldn't go yeah. out socially anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't eat anything else. <laughs> no. In fact, I was telling Keris earlier about a friend that uh, came to stay with me for two days. <laughs> I think it was the most oh traumatising two days of her life. I can imagine. Um, in the sense that I was making her eat, you know, concoctions of nuts and seeds and things that really just caused so much fermentation. Yeah. Um, and by the second day, she was dragging me to Tesco saying, please, can I just buy some whole wheat pasta? <laughs> so you was a vegan for eight months, you say? Oh, sorry, no, a raw, raw foodie, foodie, sorry. Raw foodie. So, yeah, so I, I moved, I switched from being pescatarian to then going full raw vegan. Wow. And um, I was probably, well, I was fully raw for those eight months only. And then I just kind of thought, Do you know what, I'm not really convinced by a lot of... I mean, I can imagine you, you save the fortune on your gas bill. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> <laughs> but mind you, you're dehydrating things. So raw food has used dehydrators uh, and blenders. Okay. So, so you are you are using some some form of power. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of a, a positive to it then. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, perhaps I'm being a little unfair, especially if there are raw foodists listening. <laughs> but but in, in in the sense nowadays, it's a lot better. Um, yeah. And certainly, what's interesting is there's a, a couple of American raw foodists that are now eating raw animal products, so they're not vegan anymore. So the emphasis is actually eating, well, the idea that in nature when we used to pick a fig off the tree, insects would be crawling over it. So you would eat the insects. Right. So they're actually of the mindset of now you, you eat some raw animal produce. Right, which, okay. which so, so it's kind of, it's split and it's gone off in all different angles. And, and certainly the, the characters that, or the people that are involved in raw food, none of them are following a 100% raw food diet. And I know that, especially in terms of hanging out with them, yeah. Um, I mean, only last year, in fact, I was doing a couple of workshops with a couple of raw foodists, and they look really healthy, but they're actually having omelettes for breakfast, and they're actually making bone broths, because <laughs> they, they, you know, they value their health. Yeah. Um, but it's unfortunately, a shame they're not doing workshops on that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. So, so it can be, you know, there's a lot of, I, I realised in that eight months of being in Cambridge that, or Cambridgeshire anyway, that um, there was... A lot of um, it attracted a lot of neurotic people, mm -hmm. and it's a very good way to disguise an eating disorder. And I wanted, mm -hmm. I was into health for some yeah. reason, and I wanted to know more. So that's when I then studied to become. But, but did you feel any benefit to it in the eight months? Um, I think I probably had unrecognized. Looking back, I think on reflection, I probably had unrecognized gut complaints. Right. Um, but certainly, I didn't have any conditions as such. And did I feel better? I mean, I feel amazing now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of, I've, I've got a, a constitution that, luckily, that, that, that is... That steak. <laughs> that steak might have had something to do. <laughs> Still riding up in there. Steak pie. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I felt healthy, but then I also, I think I remember farting a lot. <laughs> I can imagine, I mean... You know, doing wrong veg are great for you, but even when I've had a day where I've maybe gone on a bit OTT on veg, yeah, you know, my wind is terrible. I yeah, mean, there's certain yeah. veg that trigger it, but yeah. I can imagine if you're just eating that almost for every meal. Yeah, but it's it's see the thing is is that it's less the veg; it's more the concoctions of the the imitations of right. conventional or cooked recipes. But do you not yeah, find though? Because obviously, you know, normally like a typical dinner, let's say, is mm -hmm. you know a bit of chicken. Some, some green vegetables yeah. and maybe some sweet potato or something. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to make up, because obviously if you're a vegan, mm, you're trying mm. to make up that whole dish from yeah. 
vegetables, nuts, yeah. seeds, exactly. um, pulses, whatever. Yeah. You know, like that. That just must be crazy. It is. It is crazy. I mean, there's there's certain. I mean, there's, I can think of a couple of places actually in London now that focus on raw food, and yeah. they're actually they're actually really good, and it's fresh, and it's not. So, I mean, nowadays it's the. That's why I say nowadays the raw food seems a little better. It's changed. Yeah, it's changed. But back then, I mean, it was awful. Different story. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sounds horrible. Yeah, <laughs> a lunch. A lunch would be you know a, like a, a mushroom with some kind of paste made out of sprouts and olives and, and oh god knows what olive oil probably a garvey nectar shoved in there as yeah. well <laughs> um and then maybe like fermented nuts on top it's just i mean it was and dinner and the thing is is that back then as well because i believe now that you are actually nutrient deprived yeah um especially amino acids i think that i had a lot of cravings for for this agave like the sugar yeah. and I always found actually one one switch that I found from then going from vegan to eating eggs yeah I found and then going back to fish and then last week actually having <laughs> a steak <laughs> <laughs> I I noticed that um so certainly from the, the reintroduction of eggs I noticed that I didn't look for food after a meal yeah okay so, yeah. so I often yeah so yeah. I often found that I would, I'd finish my meal and I'd be, okay, so what's next to eat? Yeah. Because, and I, I truly think that that's my body being, wasn't satisfied by the yeah. food that I was providing. Even okay. though you, the concept is, is that raw food is the healthiest diet to be on. And I, I think that's... I mean, I can understand why people would kind of buy into that mindset. Of course, yeah. Raw food, you know, it's yeah. nutrient dense, yada, yada. Well, it's not yeah. yada, yada, really. But, mm. you know, I think it's only a matter of time before, you know, you, you, I mean, I, I don't doubt that you may feel good at first, yeah. especially if you've gone from maybe quite a heavily processed diet mm. to something that's obviously all natural and mm. raw, you probably would get a, a surge of benefit yeah. initially. Yeah. yeah. But then... But then it, the, the focus was on the, the word raw. Yeah. And certainly what people used to do, there was, I remember a story of a truck driver actually, and he, he wanted to follow a raw food diet mm -hmm. so all he did was eight nuts all day and every oh, day God, that's what? all he could do really yeah isn't exactly it? it's yeah. not like you yeah. dehydrate your end of lorry but there was no emphasis on um greens or vegetables fresh vegetables or juices it was i mean from his to people listen to the word oh you know raw raw okay so i can eat raw i'll just eat nuts and, mm. and fruit all day and that, I mean, that's just a, a lethal combination if that's your only source of, of, of in, nutrient intake. So. so after this eight-month spell... <laughs> yeah, I, I then joined the College of Naturopathic Medicine, which I lecture at, and now, which is quite funny being on the other side, lecturing initially when you've been a student there. I then trained there. Um, I did the Diploma in Nutritional Therapy and then the, the Diploma in Naturopathy. And I, I, was, I was, you know, I started learning that actually... Protein was was important, and you did need it. Yeah. Um, but then I was still of of that mindset of well, you know, I can still be vegan and still be really healthy. And I was I was actually a very healthy vegan. So I wasn't the type of vegan that would go to starches um, and just fill up on on beans and pulses. I did have a lot of sprouted foods, and I yeah. had a lot of green juices. And but then I was. Then I began using things like tofu, which I just don't think is a health food at all nowadays. Um, so you even and you know and I sometimes I have clients now who 
they're vegetarian or vegan for religious reasons and then you know you um, i don't want to to say you're wrong because they're doing it for ethical yeah, or yeah. religious mm. reasons more than anything so i tend to say okay so let's compromise and i always find that with the vegan clients they have to spend more more money on supplements because they're not eating yeah. real food yeah and so you just think actually in terms of health if you actually switch to eating real food you wouldn't need to spend copious yeah. amount of money on, on the supplements that I'm trying to fix your health with. Yeah. And if people came, came to you and they were vegan or vegetarian for health, yeah. you would persuade them Oh, otherwise. absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I have and do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and normally it starts off with, you know, I used to be raw vegan. Yeah. And, uh, and then, oh, did you? <laughs> yes. So I think that goes a long way though, doesn't it? I mean, mm, this is yeah. why it's quite cool talking to you about it, is that you've kind of, mm. you've done the vegan, vegetarian yeah. thing. Mm, mm. You know, you're now... I say you're now a meat eater. Did you did you enjoy the steak? Or? I did enjoy it. I did. I'm, I'm my I'm my best friend cooked it for me actually, and he's yeah. he's a very good chef. What cut was it? Well, it was steak fillet, Abel and Cole, organic, grass fed. Thanks very much. <laughs> I'm more of a ribeye man myself. Oh, are you? But, yeah. see, I wouldn't see. See, my memory of meat is is. I mean, I don't even. I don't actually remember eating meat, which is is quite bizarre. So, so I can't... Even, is that poultry as well? So yeah, poultry, yeah, yeah. So before you had... So it was just pretty much fish? Was it was just you, fish. Wow. Fish and eggs. That, that, that was what I was eating. And no dairy? No dairy. Unless unless I went out somewhere and someone had put... Apart from butter. I, I okay. like grass-fed butter. But I don't choose dairy. But if I'm out and about, then oh, someone's cooked me a meal. I'm not going to say, don't put... I can't eat that. Just because I, I'm, I'm at a stage now in my life where... I'm healthy. Yeah. I'm definitely been around a lot of blocks with different <laughs> ideas and concepts on diets. And I think I, I know how to look after myself. So if I'm out or if I go to a friend's house or someone where I don't, they don't know my diet, mm-hmm. then I'll, I'll let it pass. You know? Yes. Yeah. But dairy's not, not, I don't think dairy's really the best type of food that we should be eating. Apart from grass-fed butter. Yeah, we, we have grass-fed butter or ghee, don't we? Yeah. And we, we do have the odd bit of cheese. Yeah. Mm. Why, why, why do you sort of avoid dairy? What would be your take on it? I think... we hear so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd probably say... I don't know. I mean, it's, it's very... In, in terms of a naturopathic answer, it's very mucus for me. But um, apart from anything else, so many people have an intolerance to dairy. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they, they don't recognise it for a start. And sometimes there, there's, um, there's what, it's, it's actually a, a Dr. Tom O'Brien, who's a kind of gluten specialist, I suppose he's become. But he's big on, on this idea of molecular mimicry. And all that is, so he's very anti-gluten. And all that is, is the idea that certain foods can mimic gluten in the body, right. in, in terms of your body recognises the dairy proteins, casein, as, uh, as gluten, and so your body and your immune system will react. And apart from anything else, if you're not eating organic dairy, then you have um, potentially high levels of antibiotics and oestrogens, and you'll find things like insulin growth-like factor in dairy as well. Um, but what about, say, we try and get unpasteurised dairy where we can? Yeah, that's much better. Much um, better. But the thing, my biggest problem with mm. dairy is is I, I struggle mm. to have it in kind of small amounts, if you like. You mm. know, I, I tend to... I can go a good stretch without dairy, yeah. 
Yeah, I th- but then when I have it, you know, if, if you know, if I'm putting a bit of feta cheese in my salad, for example, mm. I go crazy. <laughs> you know, if you maybe do it like a, a a chicken breast with you know stuffed with a bit, of che- you know, a bit of dough, mm. you know, strong mm. cheese or whatever, I, I go crazy, don't I? But doesn't mm. um, dairy acts on opiate receptors? Yeah, it, it does. So, yeah. Especially cheese, I've, yeah. I've read. So, well, well, do you know addictive. there's a thing now that's gluten, gluten morphine, and casein morphine. Which is basically saying that the effect that casein and gluten have on your body is like morphine. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That would explain yeah. a few things with clients. Because <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, like, I'm more of a savoury person. Mm. So if I was to have a, I don't know, like, you know, ice cream mm. any day of the week. Yeah. But if I had a choice over mm. savoury so-called treats like mm. cheese, you yeah. know, those kind of things, over sweets and mm. chocolate, then I'd, I'd be happy with that. You know, well, you choose cheese over chocolate. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, that's way. ridiculous. That's insane. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, I don't like, know that you would. I've seen oh, you with chocolate. I've seen you with chocolate. I've just seen you with chocolate. I'm not saying I dislike chocolate. I love chocolate. But if I could eat dairy frequently, <laughs> you know, like I, I just love cheese. Mm, like cheese after I, dinner, I, strong cheeses, you know, like grating a bit of Parmesan on your omelette. We should just probably tell um, our listeners that Emma brought over... Emma actually makes her own chocolate called Perfect Chocolate. And she brought us two bars. One was um, rum and raisin. What was the other one? Butterscotch. It was rum and raisin and butterscotch, yeah. And it's raw chocolate. And yeah. it's... Uh, dairy-free. Dairy-free. And you yeah. sweetened it with... Well, one uh, was with xylitol, xylitol and then the rum and raisin because it goes better with a more earthly sweetener. It's actually with coconut sugar. And, and that was, was flavoured with what was it? Um, Medicine which, flowers. Which so they, these are like um, extracts, and they're they're one hundred percent natural, and they're from America actually, but you can buy them over here too. And they have a coffee flavour, and they have butterscotch and rum and raspberry and violet. And, and what they're just combinations of. Yeah, they're like they're like it's like a liquid extract, and so yeah. you you only put about maybe five to ten, oh, wow. sometimes twenty drops. Not much at all. No, no. The rum and raisin was amazing. I mean, you, but you yeah. are my witness. Matt dived straight in. You... Both bars. to try it and provide squares. feedback. Top taster. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know that you tasted it. <laughs> straight down. Didn't even touch the side. <laughs> yeah, basically. What's this? Is it Elfie? <laughs> With the whole dairy thing, I think mm. it's, it's a subject that I think there's always going to be... Mm. I mean, we have it online sometimes, don't we, when we put a recipe out that's got dairy in it and then mm. we get the whole anti-dairy brigade. Yeah. And I kind of, our kind of point is is that we do feel that people can get away with eating dairy, mm. but mm. if your body allows. Yeah. you know. But I think most people don't listen to the signs that their body's given them that maybe yeah. dairy isn't doing them any favours. I know for, for yeah. me, if I have a little bit, I'm fine. Mm. If I have a lot, you mentioned earlier the whole mucus thing. Yeah. I kind of just get very snotty and... You see, that, that to me is a sign to, to tell me that your body's reacting to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so if, if I'm, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, you, you asked me, I think I answered from a personal point of view in the sense yeah. of I don't choose to eat cheese or milk or even whether it's unpasteurised or, or not, unless yeah. I'm caught out. But that's just, that's how I, I that suits me. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't advocate the same thing for every single person However, if you do find that you react from something, then that's your body telling you it doesn't like yeah. it. So then perhaps you shouldn't have cheese it's, 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 it's only if I've gone over the top. Like yeah, if I've had right. a small amount, right. like, you know, like I said, like grate a bit of Parmesan on an omelette. I don't omelet know. Or... I'd, I'd say 
Well, yeah. you, you are quite a mucusy person, so <laughs> I would oh, take. Okay. <laughs> but no, you have that. You have this sneezy, snuffly thing that you get, and even mm. sometimes it's when you you don't even have dairy. So, I, but I wouldn't. I don't think dairy is doing it any favors. Yeah. Where, where we we kind of linked that. that to coffee, didn't we, at one point? Yeah. But as I'm not having, well. Well, you're not decaf. having dairy or coffee now, are you? Yeah, so. Well, no. Yeah. I still get it. It's not as bad. Maybe I'm allergic to you. Nagging <laughs> <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a quick question. What yeah. about um, K2? Because mm. obviously dairy is a yeah. sort of primary source of K2. What, yeah. Where do you sort of suggest people, or where do you stand with that generally? Do you think people um, need supplements? Or? Yeah, I mean, you can get it in supplements, but I'd say, I mean, K2's in butter, isn't it? You can yeah. get K2 in butter, yeah. So if you're having, like, grass-fed butter, then, uh, you know... Getting your dose. Yeah, getting your dosage. <laughs> I think it's it's produced in the gut as well, K2. Yeah, I think well, Yeah, so gut bacteria help to produce vitamin K2 as well. Yeah. I think, anyway, you might need to double check that. I'm going to say you'd be, you'd be more <laughs> qualified to say that than me. I, that's the, re- the argument I keep seeing to, to have dairy food is because yeah. it's one of the only sources yeah. of K2. Yeah. And I think I'd read that. Uh, parmesan cheese was one of the highest or the mm. aged cheeses are higher yeah which doesn't contain much lactose no and it's yeah. low in lactose yeah. so um when we were looking at what sort of dairy we could yeah. possibly have we were thinking yeah. a bit of parmesan yeah. on a salad might yeah, not be too exactly. bad yeah exactly yeah and some people find that once they remove dairy just like for an, an elimination period and then they will we'll do a reintroduction phase just to see if they react um, if they bring in certain cheeses, like hard cow's cheeses, yeah. they have an immediate reaction. Whereas if they then, like a couple of days later, try a parmesan, they don't have a reaction. So then they're happy because they can have the odd have bit a of parmesan. <laughs> I think that's the key, though, isn't it? Like getting people to actually make the time to, you know, eliminate mm. certain things and then introduce them in small amounts and yeah. see how their body reacts. But mm. most people aren't really willing to do that. Yeah. Which is really frustrating because mm. there's a chance mm. they could have it, just yeah. not quite in the yeah. the quantities that they are. Mm. Right, so we mentioned earlier, well, you mentioned earlier about digestion being a bit of a area of expertise. I love the gut. And uh, <laughs> so, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? I can actually say firsthand that um, I went to see Emma about six months yeah, ago. Six months. Um, and yeah, she went straight to the gut and told me that all that was wrong with me and I made some really big changes that have helped me mm. hugely. So thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, why don't you tell, us our listen- uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about, you know, digestion, yeah. the importance of it and, you know, what we can do to make sure that it's in check. I mean, we mention it a lot, but, you know, mm. just to kind of get the point across. I think, I mean, it's so, it's such an enormous factor in, in my, my clinic. Every condition that I see, no matter where it is on the body or how it, is represented I will always find a trace back to the gut mm-hmm. and um, and that's largely because if you think about this fact which always blows my mind is that we're made up of 98% bacterial cells and only 2% human cells which really? I think yeah so we are just so we are just bacteria. walking bacteria yeah and so then you kind of have to ask the question well who's running the show here is it is it us who we think it is or, or is it our bacteria and the answer pretty much is our bacteria. Oh, so, this is insane. Mm, it is insane. Did you know that? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so it kind of. So then you have to ask. Okay. So what? What do these bacteria do? What's What's their actual mm-hmm. role? And they are important for in, reducing inflammation. So they help to produce certain vitamins, like we were talking about vitamin K. They are really incredibly important in terms of supporting your immune system. Yeah. 
Um, and when you find that there is any inflammation happening in the body, which inflammation is one of those words which you could apply to any disease because it's your body reacting yeah, to something. Yeah. So, you know, eczema in the eyebrow is inflammation, but most people will go straight to boots and or, or a chemist and cream, put a cream yeah. on it. But, and Yeah, it might go, but where else might that then crop up in the body? And you're not actually addressing the underlying issue. So you would actually potentially have a look at, at what's happening in the gut itself. And you do that, or the best way to do that is actually having a, a stool analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love a stool analysis. <laughs> I actually do love a stool analysis. <laughs> in fact, when Kerry sent me through yours recently, I did almost have heart palpitations with excitement. <laughs> we should just clarify, though, I didn't actually send you the specimen. No. It was the results of the stool the analysis. Thanks, you know. I don't want any poo on my doorstep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not the most uh, pleasant of tests to do. Uh, no. you know, but yeah, well, it involves, <laughs> I'll tell you, it involves, involves collecting stool bowel movements for three days yeah. in a row and storing it in the fridge. Nice. Beautiful. Matt got quite wound up about it and I actually thought he was going to ask me to help him at one point. <laughs> Hear him in the toilet. You should have offered. <laughs> Absolutely no way. The stool analysis, mm. I've had two done now. Mm. Why don't we why don't we talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we talk about the difference yeah. maybe between my first one and my second one? Yeah, you might have to prompt me there because I, I can't remember the seeing your first one. one. Oh, did you not? I can tell you like in, in a in a stool analysis, so you're you're looking at your ability to digest things. And then you're looking at inflammatory markers. Are there in any inflammatory markers? And if there are, the questions would be, is there an inflammatory response happening in your body? Yeah. And is that potentially down to a food-mediated response? So are you eating things that your body's reacting to? One of the most common things is actually gluten there. So even if you're not diagnosed celiac, potentially you could be gluten intolerant. And that's actually now um, as serious a condition as celiac disease. Wow. Um, and then you'll be looking at what's called bile acids, um, and then you're looking at the, the what's called your microbiology, which is the amount of bad bacteria in comparison to the amount of beneficial bacteria, and then parasites. Um, and I don't know, I can't, I didn't see Matt's first one, Kerry. So, so you, in your first one, Matt, you had you had inflammation, you had uh, uh, putrefaction yeah. of, of proteins so you weren't chewing your food maybe low stomach acid <laughs> and you had all sorts of strains of yeah. yeast infections and a parasite you had blastus hominis which is i see that on nearly every single stool yeah. test i've ever seen um, yeah interestingly and you you consider that to be something that shouldn't be there i agree i i, I do yeah i do i, I don't do you agree <laughs> I've read different things on different papers and some people Mm. say, uh, you know, I'm assuming it comes from tap water or something like that because it seems to be really common. It does, it is common and if you go to a GP and you have a stool test, I mean their stool tests are a little different to ours but they, and blastocystis hominis is on there, then they say, oh it's fine, everyone has it. Yeah, and that's they don't address it, you know. And I think the difference is, is that if you have gut problems or if you have health problems of any kind, then it's important to address it. Yeah. And I personally don't want a parasite in my gut. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen quite a lot of links between papers on IBS and yes. and blastocystis, yeah. saying that yeah. it could be. Yeah. Because even if you sort of try and treat the gut with. Yeah. And then your next one, the test that we just had recently, was was more about basically you had a few more strains of bad bacteria, mm. no growth of good bacteria. 
high levels of beta-glucuronidase, which I'm yeah. going to let you explain, Emma. What, what, what it is. <laughs> yeah. So beta-glucuronidase, A's meaning anything ending in an A's is an enzyme, is an enzyme that's produced by uh, bacteria in your gut. So what it does is, if you imagine that in your liver you have what's called a phase 1 and a phase 2, and the phase 2, very sim simply put, is the, the breaking down and the chopping of metabolites. And that includes hormones, um, metabolites, dietary metabolites that are external to the body and, and internal to the body. And then the second phase of the liver is actually simply, put, it's like the mopping. So it binds to things and then it takes it down different pathways to be eliminated. So something will bind, let's take for example oestrogen. So oestrogen needs to be um, broken down first of all by phase one liver and then bound in phase two liver, which is... Um, which is called conjugation, um, and then when it's bound, it's, it's then been sent to the bowels to be eliminated. However, hopefully then you have a bowel movement and it's gone, so you've got rid of that oestrogen. Yeah. However, if you have an imbalance of good versus bad bacteria, the bad bacteria produce this enzyme that's called beta-glucuronidase, and the enzyme will unbind that that, for example, that oestrogen. So that means that rather than the oestrogen being eliminated, it's actually being uh, recirculated around the body. So that's leaving you, Matt, if you've got high levels of that enzyme with higher with levels, high of, levels oestrogen, of oestrogen, yeah. which you don't want, because no. no. I might have to lend you my bra <laughs> <laughs> if that happens. Well, yeah, yeah. if. Yeah, just these, are, these are little baps of steel, these. <laughs> so, but you were pleasantly surprised, should I say, with the results of my stall analysis Kerry said that you thought yeah. it, you thought it was going to be a lot worse so yeah I... yeah I did um well I think I think I was excited because I, I thought oh well let's extend this protocol and things have gone down so let's I, I, I love a test because especially a stool test just because it, it shows markers of improvement yeah it gives you a, it gives yeah. you a baseline doesn't it to start with mm. so. I mean I mean I certainly hope you guys don't mind us talking about my stall analysis <laughs> but when I went to see Emma for me, it, it was really subtle changes that helped me massively. So, like Keris mentioned, you know, I wasn't I wasn't chewing my food properly. I was eating quite quickly. Um, I think because I was busy with work, I was literally like I saw meal times as 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 a bit of an inconvenience. Mm. So I would I think I remember saying this mm. to you. You know, like I'd I'd be in work mode, but I needed to eat, so I'd eat just super quickly. But you know, I love meat. You know, food that requires quite a lot of. Yeah. You know, you know, from the digestive system that I was eating really, really quickly. So just taking my time with meals, not working whilst I was eating, so putting my laptop away and actually sitting at the table and eating a meal and enjoying it, chewing it properly. Mm. Uh, not drinking water during meals was a big thing because I used mm. to just gulp water down at dinner times and kind of throughout the day. So I stopped that. And uh, to give my digestive system a little bit of a rest, you recommended uh, doing one vegetarian meal a day, right? Mm, mm. Which... Uh, I must admit, I no longer do, mm. uh, but I did mm. do for a spell, you know, and I made some really nice vegetable curries and stuff Good. like that. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I wasn't really training that much anyway, just to, due to work commitments. And, and those changes alone, I think, helped me massively, mm. which Good. anybody could do, right? I yeah, mean, that's really, absolutely, yeah. really simple stuff. I mean, if you do yeah. feel like you're suffering from bloating or any kind of digestive issues, then... Yeah. Those three things are. Mm -hmm. you know, there's no... Well, that's the thing. I mean, and lots of people suffer with bloating, um, and the the kind but most of, people think it's normal. They do, they? they do, and it's not. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah, you, that is there's the problem in your digestive yeah. tract that you need to fix. I mean, we were having a conversation about 
farting <laughs> earlier before the podcast and we were talking about you know like how much farting is classed as yeah. unhealthy and yeah. stuff like that and yeah. I mean Keris has got it in her head that you shouldn't fart at all no no I didn't say at all well we, we actually had this discussion last night we had um my parents over for dinner and um my dad um <laughs> basically broke wind and I said that's not normal being that it, it was excessive to me. It was. It, and then they, yeah, but that was quite excessive. So now everybody thinks I've got something against wind, but I don't think people realise that most flatulence that they suffer from is excessive and mm. they think it's normal, especially mm. older generations who are like, oh, it's a sign I've eaten my fibre. Yeah. It's a good thing. Um, and so one of my questions, or, or then, and I, we've had this on some of our plans, is, is what is... Mm. <laughs> how yeah. often do you think you should break wind and, well, and mean, should it smell? <laughs> no, okay, so the definite answer is that it shouldn't smell. So if you're farting and clearing a room, then, <laughs> then you have problems. <laughs> and how the, should it smell then? It shouldn't smell at all. Um, and if it does smell, then it's shown that you, you're, um, you're unable to digest protein and fat. But isn't so the smell he... normally related to the heat of the gas? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, because what I mean is it's obviously hot air rises, right? You didn't read that in any sort of scientific <laughs> no, but, no, but book hot, or air, hot air rises, so if it's, if it's not a hot one, <laughs> it won't rise, so you don't actually smell it. It's not that no. it doesn't smell. <laughs> Have I just made that up? I think so. I, I, do we, are we agreeing he made that up? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's two nutritional things. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm out voting on that one. Yeah. What do you think, Amish? <laughs> no, he's saying nothing. But if, if, okay, so if it's smelling and you're clearing a room, then you need to be looking at stomach acid levels and chewing the food properly and digestive enzymes. And you're not actually breaking down protein and the fat very well i will go for weeks without farting at all wow. <laughs> and and i and you know and if, if you have the odd fart i mean sometimes people <laughs> sometimes people need to fart when they they need to have a bowel movement yeah um and then that so that kind of it, it's a, a thing that happens before they actually go to the toilet and have a bowel movement yeah um but but really we, we shouldn't really be having too much flatulence at all and if we are then we need to think about potentially what we're eating that could be mm. contributing to it. You know, I don't mind saying that I used to fart a hell of a lot. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't say they smell pleasant. But I was that. once one of those people that thought it's normal. You yeah. eat your meal yeah. and you fart. You know, yeah. everybody does yeah. it. And But, you know, when I actually have seen the change in that I don't fart anywhere near as much as I used to... Yeah. No, 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 you're yeah, you don't, don't. You, you, you had a look of no, disagreement on your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Actually, no. one thing that I, keeps cropping up in my mind, you know, I looked at your eyes before this. Yeah. So something that came up in your eyes was low hydrochloric acid levels. Oh. Really? So you're prone to low hydrochloric acid levels. No, so no. something about the iris is that it never changes, really, largely speaking. Just because it's in there doesn't mean that you have it. But because I can see it, I would ask you about your... Um, hydrochloric acid levels and I'd say uh, how, how do you do with that well speaking of which um you you, you mentioned you did uh, you checked out my eyes before we started this mm, mm. and uh, would you like to just tell the listeners what you what you said <laughs> can we explain what iridology yeah, is yeah. good point yeah. A lot of people have never heard of it and wouldn't understand yeah that's right so so iridology I mean it's basically the study of the iris but in when you look at the iris so the classical iridology is um, about uh, similar to reflexology in the, sen in, in the sense that you have the organs mapped on the feet and you have the organs mapped in your iris as well. 
So you'd be looking at, you're trying to understand somebody's constitution. Mm -hmm. So you never look at the eye and diagnose something um, because your iris, you will have markers in your eye that either might be something that's in your family or it happened to generations before you um, or it's uh, something that's perhaps a weak area but it's not necessarily anything you need to worry about. So you'd never look into someone's eyes and diagnose something but it does give you a great deal of information about who they are as a character because I also do what's called behavioural ideology. Well, I which think is, you were spot on. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I did to YouTube before. <laughs> so, so what you can do is, this is, this is the, the idea behind the behavioural stuff is I'm looking at your fibre structure wow. and you have a gene that's called PAC6 that's, that develops your personality in the womb and that same gene then expresses fibre structure in your iris which is the link between behaviour patterns. And, that's amazing. Yeah, wow. it's really cool, right? Yeah. So... So um, when I had a very, very brief look before, Matt's eyes were telling me <laughs> that he, you know, his mood temperaments might be up and down. Um, he's incredibly creative. He has the ability to think about things um, and be very, you know, be, I'm on, I'm on this, I want to do this now, I want to focus on this now. But unfortunately, even though the ideas are there, Matt doesn't, in his eyes, Matt doesn't have the ability to see the project through. That's when I, have, that's when I delegate to Keris. Yes. <laughs> this is true, though. You should explain what my eyes are. <laughs> so you are the perfect match. So, so I'm a delegator, this is good. <laughs> so when I looked into Keris's eyes, Keris had a fibre structure of an anxious disposition. Because I have so much work delegated. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Matt, give Keris a break. <laughs> Can't um, help it, I'm too creative. <laughs> but she also has this ability to, she's a leader, so she has this ability to, to see things out and do things um, until the end. And, and it's a very strong disposition, actually, that you have, which is just uh, like the constitution, it's who you are. Yeah. Um, but, and, but there is this kind of, you've, you've got a secret side to you, which is kind of yours and Matt's to share, which is where you let down your armour. Um, and which I think you kind of agreed with. Yeah, I think you said something like, I never, it sounds a bit strange, but don't ever appreciate, I suppose, my strengths. Yes, yes. Like so that. so yeah. the other thing about your eyes is that you're, you're amazing at what you do, but don't realise oh. it. Oh. Yeah. And, and other people will look up to you, and probably your listeners are thinking the same thing, is that they do all look up to you. Oh. Um, but you don't ever put yourself on a pedestal. And if you, if you see that others are, it's almost like it frightens you. You don't feel like you deserve to be there. Yeah, I think that's definitely true, but I always mm. think that's more because I'm around people, I think, who mm. are so much greater than me and where I'd like to be, so I'm always constantly mm. aspiring to be but better. I, I just think it is mm. quite scary. I, I think you were like, re on, really yeah. quite spot on there yeah. with mm. both of us. And so you're basically saying we are the perfect couple. Yeah, you are the perfect <laughs> couple. <laughs> <Look at that. laughs> so I think... We should move on to some of the questions. Yeah, sure. We have some really good questions coming on the Fitter Food page. The first question is on a skin condition, which I've already forgotten how to pronounce. <laughs> so rosacea, isn't there it? There you yeah. go. <laughs> rosacea. The question from uh, is from Samantha Grist or Grist, whichever way you pronounce that. Sorry about that, Samantha. First of all, she said she's been eating clean since last summer. has got fantastic results. Uh, and lost 24 pounds without exactly. calorie counting, which is absolutely awesome. You shouldn't be counting calories, so keep that up. But she said that she's got a question about uh, ro rosacea. 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 <laughs> I learn that, don't I? It's all these like silent letters and stuff. 
Anyway, that's just an excuse. <laughs> yeah, but this uh, skin condition flares up uh, with various painful lumps and spots on her face. Normally controlled with the use of like uh, long-term antibiotics, mm-hmm. which ran out in January. She hasn't been back to repeat uh, her prescription, but she just wants to know what kind of things she can do nutrition-wise in order to prevent the return of the, of the condition. She'll probably find that she has a flare-up when she's stressed, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the biggest factors there is to look at stress. Another thing that's behind rosacea normally is interesting because we've been talking about it a little bit is actually low hydrochloric acid levels. Right. So just to be clear, hydrochloric acid is a, is what your stomach produces, and it's absolutely crucial. It's almost well the starting point of digestion is actually what's called your cephalic phase of digestion, which is the sight and the smell and the thought of food, mm-hmm. uh, which is why then it becomes even more important for you to actually get into the habit of making your own stuff because. When you're making your and preparing your own food, you actually start your digestive process. Yeah. Um, so many people don't realise that, do they? They don't. When you no. just grab and go and exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's almost like you catch your digestive system, or, you know, off guard. Off guard. Yeah. And it's like, oh well, hang on, well there's food. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then so then what happens is it goes down into your stomach, and in your stomach you should it should be so acidic in your stomach that if you were to put your finger in it, it would burn it. So, and ideally, it's, that's there for a reason, which is to break down foods yeah. and also to stop bacteria from then travelling into your small intestine and causing damage and inflammation, which if your small intestine is inflamed or damaged, then you have problems with absorption. Then you're not, you become malnourished because you can't actually absorb the nutrients yeah. that you're eating. So one of the biggest things behind rosacea is actually low hydrochloric acid levels. So... I, she can do, I mean, maybe you've said this on a podcast before, I don't know, but... Say it again, because we, we have to repeat it yeah, so many yeah. times. Yeah, okay. It's like so such an easy thing to do. It but. is, it is, and which which is the bicarbonate of soda test. So she can um, just get a teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda, dilute it into about 200 mils of water, and drink it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. And within two to three minutes, she should belch really loudly. And if she doesn't, or if it's ten minutes later... Then, or if it's a tiny little hiccup and not actually a burp, yeah. then um, she needs to supplement with hydrochloric acid. And that's before Is there a particular now. brand you'd recommend? Or? Um, there's a couple. I mean, the one that I, I tend to use the most is Metagest, which is by Nutri yeah, Advanced. Yeah, that's what we use, isn't it? Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily... I mean, it's not the best one. Yeah. It's just that it's one that is easy to, to use. And I would probably start off with one tablet five to 15 minutes before every meal. And obviously she said in her uh, question that she, she does eat quite clean as she put it Mm. um but are there certain clean foods Mm. that may you know cause problems like on the digestive system um but i for one you know like i know broccoli is very good for you but mm. it just doesn't seem to agree with me no matter how much i chew it what about garlic and onion does that agree with you Garlic, I put garlic in. Onion, I don't think agrees with them. But yeah. I don't think he. I put garlic in most things. I love it. So I wonder if you you you're leaning towards SIBO. Or I'm intolerant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More things to take out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of, of, I mean, it's hard to to ask, answer that without knowing what she classes clean foods. Yeah. Because um, often true. with skin, would you sort of remove dairy? Would be one oh yeah, I'd remove dairy. I mean, the the key things that would go in in terms of most people actually would be definitely strictly one hundred percent gluten. Yeah. Um and and dairy as well. Dairy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And even if it's just for a trial period on on the dairy, then then I would I'd get just mm. do it for a trial period and then bring it back and see if it contributes to the flare up and alcohol as well I've seen alcohol that. yeah but she, one of the biggest factors is stress yeah um, and actually stress will deplete your hydrochloric acid levels so we're saying oh potentially it's down to low 
stomach acid, but potentially stress might be the driver for that. And so if it is, then she really needs to stop working and go on holiday, like yeah. you two. Easier said than done. Do you uh, prescriptions for that? Yeah. yeah. I'll write you one now. You get that you on like. the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> Two-week all-inclusive holiday, that'd be nice. Yeah. And if she's done the antibiotics for quite a oh, while, would you suggest probiotics? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So there you have it. So in a summary, get on some probiotics, get some HCL. Well, test stomach acid first. Then yes. chill. And chill, yeah. Mm, I like it. <laughs> See, simple stuff. Simple stuff. Yeah, so uh, give that a try. Here's a question. Okay, so what we've done, guys, with the, the questions, we had loads of questions come in on email and on the Fit Food page, and there were some kind of common themes uh, with them. So rather than asking loads of questions over again, we've kind of summarised them into one. And a question that we get quite a lot and also a point we try to get across is, uh, you know, like when people are participating in like intense training, mm. marathons, mm. Endu- endurance events, etc. It actually has a really strong impact on mm. the gut, right? It does, yeah. And normally uh, we often find that people's kind of like training goals are at odds with their health goal. Mm. You know, like people mm. who are trying to lose weight, fix their gut, but then they're going out and pounding the pavements because they've got a marathon that's yeah. coming up that they're determined to do. Yeah. So could you tell us maybe a little bit more about the effect that that yeah. might have on the gut and what we can do to... Well, I mean, first of all, I'd probably say that I don't think training for a marathon is the healthiest thing to do anyway. Yeah. Um, and I don't think marathon running or this extreme endurance anyway is mm. healthy for the body. Certainly, I'm, I'm an advocate of exercise, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and especially weight-bearing, etc., and resistance. But these marathons and events where you're running potentially for four hours or longer and you're training for that is actually detrimental and it causes yeah. an inflammatory effect on the body. So you really need to, to work on supporting especially the gut because mm. what excessive exercise can actually do is reduce something that's called secretory IgA levels. Right. The kind of way that you would picture those is they're like the first army of defence in your digestive tract um, and you want them to be at adequate levels because they're potentially there to help fight infection or invasion from the pathogen. Right. So if you're ex- exercising excessively, then you need to support that. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you a couple of ways of, of how to do that. But the next thing is, is that when you're, especially marathon runners, they tend to have something that's called bowel ischema, which is a lack of oxygen to the bowel, which can cause um, a, a gut motility problem and also diarrhoea. So often a lot of runners actually experience runner's diarrhoea for that problem. But there's not really much you can do about that too much. It's just stop running. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but but certainly in terms of supporting the stress that that type of exercise can do in your body would be looking at things like relaxation because actually happiness and relaxation increases your secretory IgA levels increase when you're in a pleasant mood yeah so that is one thing (laughs) the second thing I think people find that quite hard like they might be sat there with a a pen and pad now saying right Mm. what's she going to suggest what Mm. can I take what can I take and then you suggest Mm. happiness (laughs) that's quite hard (laughs) who's got that in a bottle (laughs) where do I buy that (laughs) Um, and then the second one is chlorella chlorella can help improve secretory IgA and then maybe you might have mentioned it on a podcast which is Saccharomyces boulardii we might have done I usually mention it for people with rapid bowel movements yeah, and things like that. Yeah, exactly. So Saccharomyces boulardii, or SB for short, is a non-pathogenic yeast, and it's actually incredibly important for, for gut flora. And you can, um, well, improving the probiotic flora in your, in your gut and also for increasing these secretory IgA levels. 
It also actually helps to combat blastocystis hominis. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. So that's a good one for, for running. Definitely. So if you're thinking about probiotic, uh, I mean, hopefully everybody's thinking about probiotic, and that's largely because of that fact that I mentioned earlier, which is we're mainly bacterial cells. Yeah. So, I mean... It, yeah. So just to clarify, you don't want them getting on like a Danone... Or yakult. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> absolutely not. Abs- and in fact, if um, my 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 research and my experience tells me that if you go if you go way back to birth and you have a look at um, the way that you were born, so whether you were vaginally born or C-section, so cesarean delivery, um, has a, a massive impact on what's called your microbiome, which is your kind of DNA of your gut flora. And if you if you have been vaginally born then as you, as you go through that, that canal, um, you actually take a mouthful of mucus. And that mucus starts, although it sounds gory, that mucus <laughs> actually starts your bacterial, yeah. good bacteria. The other thing is um, if you're breastfed or not. And if you're breastfed, then you have incredibly important colostrum and then immunoglobulins that actually pass through the breast into the baby. Mm-hmm. that again assist with this, what's called gut microbiome. So if you have been C-section delivered and not been breastfed, then you need to be, personally, I think you need to be on probiotics ongoing. For the rest of your life? For the rest of your life, absolutely, yeah. It's really interesting because, Keris, you you often mention that in uh, when we run our seminars, don't you? Yeah. And it's it, you, it's the one thing that you can just see the whole room kind of like, you know, looking at each other, like nodding yeah. their heads, like, oh, wow, like, you know. Because yeah. that is a really interesting point, isn't it? Because mm. when you look at a lot of my, like, inflammatory markers, because, mm. I, I mean, don't go wrong, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I was, yeah. Say I, it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a problem with the word <laughs> vagina? <laughs> it's just the, uh, the childishness of me. <laughs> I was, um, I, yeah. was, I was, I was, I was born. Yeah. <laughs> Vaginal birth. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't breastfed. No, neither was I. It, it really upset me. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I never knew it was an issue. In fact, mm. I, I, I met for many years of my life, um, I actually thought that, you know, you just bottle fed anyway. It was just the way mm. you done it, <laughs> you know, until I got a bit older and a little bit wiser, not much. Um, and realised obviously how important breastfeeding was, but when I actually look back at the fact that I was never breastfed, mm. and you actually think, well, wow, actually that does quite says a lot. You know, when you look well, at well, like, you, you can't replace breast milk. There's no, there's yeah. no direct replacement for breast milk. Um, I mean, one thing that really blows me away, breast milk about breast milk, is that when the mother kisses her baby, she actually ingests bacteria that's on the baby's skin, and in through through her body will take that bacteria and produce antibodies to it, which she then feeds her baby, which, I mean, no really? formula is ever going to do that. That's yeah. amazing. It's yeah. amazing. That yeah. is amazing. And the thing yeah. is, I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, I know mm. there are certain reasons why yeah. some women don't breastfeed, mm. you know, and, and totally get that. Mm. But I think if you if you can, yes. then you yeah. should, right? Absolutely. And yeah. it's free. It's yeah. free. Yeah. This huh? is my mum actually yeah. said she breastfed because if she didn't, she would have probably killed us, me and my brothers, because <laughs> she's like wouldn't have been able to keep the milk hygienic, you know, as in yeah, like, uh, yeah. to prepare the milk hygienically and heat it to the well, right temperature. The thing, yeah. and it's just like we would have all got some yeah. sort of bugs and yeah, definitely. Well, there's so. there's a lot of complications actually in in formula feeding. It's, yeah, it, as you say, the hygiene, etc., cleaning the bottles and yeah. buying the formula in the first it's place. A faff. When it's you, a fact. When you could just whip it out and <laughs> whip it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's an amazing that, that that kissing the baby's skin thing. Like it's little things like that that really yeah. it, it just gives you that I don't know, it's just such a you think that's nature. 
Same. Right, that's kind of just how it should be, and it's just I don't know. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, where were we? we what were we talking, talking about? about? Oh, the endurance stuff. Yeah. So just, oh yes. Well, yeah. I suppose, like for training mm. generally, what would you mm. sort of recommend to people that you see? How do they support themselves? Yeah. Any training regime. So even just mm. someone going to the gym four or five times a week. Yeah. Do yeah. You recommend shakes. Actually, and do you know what? Something that might help with the bowlishina is a fish oil because that would help increase oxygen around the body. Oh, wow. So just just thinking about that. I mean, I'm not. I don't know if it'll work or not. Actually, but <laughs> you can try it. Um, but I would say, I would say, in terms of in terms of, it depends what kind of training you're doing, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. But I mean, I and it depends what you actually want to achieve as well. But I would say, um, especially if you're kind of in your thirties, I don't know what age bracket your your guys that you train are, or what the majority of the listeners are, but. If no you're, idea. I'd say probably between twenty five and thirty five is yeah. probably where we sit. Really? I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah. No idea. Well, that well, that's know? interesting. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting because that's that's around the age that your production, internal production of CoQ ten starts to reduce, and CoQ ten is actually a really important antioxidant, and it's important for what's called mitochondrial support as well, mm-hmm. which is the production of energy. So I would probably say CoQ ten starts to become important, especially if you're training quite hard. Um, I would say excessive training, it depends what you call excessive training, but I mean, I think personally an hour of exercise a day isn't excessive. I think that's actually quite important to factor in, but it depends what you're doing. But I would say probiotics is a must because they're one of the biggest anti-inflammatory things that we can actually support. Fish oils, I think, are are important. CoQ10, um, vitamin D, I mean, that's just standard, whether you're training or not, especially in the UK. I probably maybe in terms of like unique supplements, I might think about alpha lipoic acid, um, especially in terms of it not only being an antioxidant, but it improves or increases what's called your glutathione levels, yeah. which is an is an intracellular antioxidant. That's one of your first kind of uh, defense mechanisms against stress and oxidative damage in the body. It also crosses the blood brain barrier in terms of it being um, an antioxidant. And it helps balance blood sugar levels, so it helps improve insulin resistance. So it can help people hit a number of health goals. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. so it's got wow. alpha-lipoic acid is one of those all-wonder nutrients. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And what about food-wise? Would you mm. recommend for food-wise in in terms of training? Yeah, or? Support training. I think this mm. is always a tough one because with the, the the guys on our twenty-eight day plan mm. and um, like uh, the ladies on our twelve weeker. Obviously, a lot of them, well, they're on there because mm. there, there is, for most, a weight loss goal. Yeah. Um, as well as, obviously, of course, a health goal. I mean, yeah. I'd like to think the health goal will come first, but for most, unfortunately, it doesn't. You yeah. know, it's, it's weight loss, fat loss. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're, they're going to the gym regular, training mm. quite hard. You get the odd people who've got their training quite balanced, mm. which is nice, and their, 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 their food is supporting that quite well. Whereas others are maybe going a little bit, yeah. Or what should I say, way out of their comfort zone with the training, yeah. which is good, but then equally yeah. they've got some pounds to shift. They're trying to lose body yeah. fat, meanwhile trying to support a really intense training regime. Yeah. So what what would your approach to that be? I would I would probably if I mean I I'm not really an advocate of supplements to assist weight loss. Mm-hmm. And I actually think in fact we were having a little chat about this earlier, but I actually think that the focus on on weight loss shouldn't be the focus. Focus should be on health and not trying to to reach unachievable goals with your body to make them. I mean, most of the images that we see in the media, people have been on restricted diets for yeah. 
you know, eight weeks, and by restricted diets, I mean 500 calories a day, to wow. actually to look like that. And in Save fact, and breakfast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so I often think that if you switch the goal to actually being focused on health and feeling good about yourself, yeah. then your, your ideal weight comes naturally. And, and, but, but in terms of, of, I suppose, the guys that are on your 28, no, 12, 28 days? Yeah, well, yeah, we've got a 28 day and we've got a 12 week yeah, as well, yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd probably say in, in assisting things, I mean, L-carnitine can be quite assisting in terms of helping to pull fat into the mitochondria to be utilised mm-hmm. for energy. Um, alpha-lipoic acid, again, is important. But I, w- I wouldn't, I mean, it's hard to kind of give a, a, an overall protocol when you don't know yeah. who the individual is that you're... I mean, you might have some guys listening that have incredibly bad gut health and I would go straight to that and I would look at hydrochloric acid levels and I'd look at yeah. protein digestion and fat absorption and digestion and I'd want to know what their bowel habits were and I'd want to know if they have any other systemic illnesses at all. It's hard to kind of do an overall summary. This is where you need to go and see a therapist and actually have yeah. an individual plan. I think like uh, most people would benefit mm. from just seeing a nutrition therapist yes, like you. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> like once because yeah. often I mean working in gyms just for a couple of years I just saw mm. guys taking so many different BCAAs and yeah. various amino acids to improve, you know, muscle gain and focus and, and you know, mm. they'd read about it in various magazines but weren't taking things like, you know, when I, when I sort of started, you know, learning and I talk about things like stomach acid, probiotics, yeah. digestive enzymes, vitamin yeah. D, none of it was that interesting, mm. you know, it really was, especially to the guys. Yeah. And they would look at the price of some of the things I might suggest and say, mm. no, it's too expensive. And actually, well, there's no point doing the, necessarily doing the BCAAs mm. and mm. all the other stuff mm. because you might not even be absorbing it well that's so. that's the thing you can be taking a copious amount of supplements but yeah. if your inability to absorb them is diminished then what's the point you're wasting your money exactly well, you, yeah. you are what you absorb right yeah totally yeah. <laughs> well, you are what you eat <laughs> but it's, it's quite funny because when we um we run our health fat loss and performance seminar and our kind of general structure is is Keris talks first and she talks about gut health mm. and getting it all in check and and the importance and as you well know it's really important but you can kind of sometimes see the audience like you you see very little note taking right people glaze over a little bit and that's no reflection on keris because obviously cry. <laughs> keris was anxious you see, you see, yeah. all, all um, and then in comes the innovator <laughs> <laughs> but then we have a break and then i come on and i talk about pre-post-workout nutrition mm. and all of a sudden the pens are out everyone's writing it down you know what supplements what to brand, get what brand where yeah. do you get that from and then i move on to lifestyle and talking about sleep de-stressing mm. and again people glaze over notebooks go away i think i think that's coming from this this old concept of you have a problem you want to fix it you go to the doctor they give you a pill job done yeah yeah so so they people i mean i mean i mean this is a sweeping generalization unless you're into nutrition and health it can be undervalued um and there there is this this uh, there i mean it's there's so much research behind lifestyle factors being such mm-hmm. an important role in your the goals that you want to achieve and if they're not addressed then you're going to be struggling and you're going to be continuously hopping from one diet diet guru to another diet guru and it's it's not healthy no i I totally agree and speaking of um because you've mentioned sort of medications and how a Mm. lot of people nowadays if they've got you know skin issues or digestive issues go to the gp Mm. get get prescribed some sort of medication 
We had a lot of questions from people talking about various medication they were on, so mm. maybe thyroid medication or metformin for PCOS, um, asking us um, to ask you uh, what, could they, <laughs> what could they eat instead, how could they treat this nutritionally and then stop yeah. the medication? Yeah. And what would your advice be to those questions? That you can't answer them. So, so the advice would be, first of all, a, a, a nutri- legally a nutritional therapist cannot advise someone to come off the medication. Yeah, first of all, really important. Um, yes. So, and so people shouldn't stop medication really themselves without no. discussing with a GP. Exactly. Even if they disagree with. Yeah, the yeah, GP. yeah, exactly. So certainly, I mean, there's certain medications that you need to be weaned off anyway, and yeah. only your GP would know how to do that. So certainly, it's within our realms to suggest that somebody go back to their GP and say, look, I'm doing this programme, I'm losing weight, I'm feeling much better, do I still need to be on this um, blood sugar medication like metformin? And they, you know, they can run more tests and it's fully within their rights to do that yeah. um, because you've changed, you've had a lifestyle change. So definitely it would be always to go back to the GP and then also not to do things just because you listen to podcasts or read books, etc. because... Everyone, and, and I always say this on my lectures as well, that as, as, as a lecturer and, and all the lecturers, we all differ in our opinion and we all annoyingly sometimes give contradictory information. Yeah. But it's because it comes from our experience. So, and I would always say what I tell you now might not be right five years' time or it might, I might change my opinion tomorrow or depending, because the body is it's, it's so... We don't know what this world or this body is actually really about. Yeah. Um, and it changes all the time. So we have to utilise the tools like going to see a nutritional therapist and working alongside the GP to figure out what's going on with medications. And you would work with a GP, you would write to yeah. GPs and talk about what you're doing as yeah, well. Yeah, so it's absolutely. not just a case of going one or the other. No, you no, together. no. Yeah, no, you do both. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Do you not find, though, generally when working with clients, it, or it, it kind of is pretty much a constant trial, like constant form of trial and error anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like, you know... Trial and improvement. Yeah, you. know, you may take a client who, let's say, goal is fat loss, and initially you might drop their carbs down a mm. little bit, play, mm. around, play around with the other macros, and, you know, over, say, like a four-week spell, they get great results, they mm. lose body fat, but then, you know, for some, you know, you prolong that too long, yeah. know, their energy levels might drop, mm. they may not be able to sustain their... The, the kind of training that they want to do and yeah. so obviously you'd assess that and then you'd maybe bring the carbs up a little mm. bit and so forth and I think it's just the same generally with health right yes yeah. everyone is individual and unique and another thing that I do is genetic testing and that has taught me so much about everyone being unique I'm actually going to have one of these tests done yeah I'm actually quite psyched about it so tell me, I mean, we talked about this a little bit with Joe Gamble, we asked her, and yeah. um, I've mentioned him before, and the way I explained it was that you can have a car, mm. or you think of the body as like a car, and mm. basically someone's just up the bonnet and, and cut through a wire. Yeah. So the car might run, but it doesn't run as effectively as it should yeah. do. Yeah, um, that's a nice analogy. Matt said it was rubbish because a car wouldn't run if you just went <laughs> through the bonnet. Notice that so. another girl says that's yeah. a nice yeah, analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Can you explain, um, like, what? Because you've actually done the test, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you explain, well, to to our listeners what it is? Okay, so, so, so everyone the same genetic coding, pretty much in terms of about ninety nine percent the same. But what makes Matt, Matt, and Keris, Keris, and Mimi is are are what's called, well, they're called SNPs, which 
stands for a long word that I won't bore you with. <laughs> but it just basically means variances. So our variances in our genes make us individual to who we are sat around this table. Right. <laughs> and um, the, once you... So there are certain genes that have functions in the body. For example, I mean, this, this is probably good to talk about. The, the, um, you have a, a liver enzyme that's, uh, or gene that's important for the metabolism of coffee. And um, now these these yeah, supplement. <laughs> <laughs> um, these genes can be upregulated or downregulated, and they can have variances on them. So, so for example, somebody might have on this particular gene that's in charge of metabolizing coffee. It does other things as well, but metabolizes caffeine. Right. Um, it can be downregulated. Now, if it's downregulated, it means that the coffee or caffeine stays in the body for much longer. So you can imagine you'd have a heightened effect. Um, so you might get irritable from coffee. And actually, the science now is suggesting that those types of people shouldn't really drink coffee because they're not actually Coffee reaping. or caffeine? Caffeine, but coffee mainly. Right. Yeah. And that they, they shouldn't really be drinking coffee because um, it has detrimental effects. Right. Whereas some people have a variance that actually is upregulated. So that means that when they drink the coffee, it's metabolised so quickly that they don't feel... So they're the types of people that can have an espresso before going to bed and sleep like a baby throughout the night. Yeah, mm. yeah. I know a few of them, definitely. Well, yeah. we, we used to do that, though, didn't we? We used to drink coffees like after dinner and then just boom, yeah, yeah like a light. Yeah. yeah, I'm still convinced that you shouldn't be having it then. <laughs> <laughs> prepared to fight my corner here. <laughs> so, 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 the, so the idea is, is that... I mean, that's just just a uh, just to kind of demonstrate the variances in yeah. terms of an understanding mm -hmm. about caffeine. But the variances are, are well, the different genes that are tested are huge. So you can find out if you're more susceptible to oxidative damage. So, mm -hmm. for example, we mentioned glutathione, yeah. and glutathione is this intracellular antioxidant. And in some people, it can be absent, and in some people, it can be present. But if it's absent, it means that you're at a higher risk of potential uh, threatening health risks from things like xenoestrogens and, and paint chemicals and pollution and wow. plastics, um, burnt meat, for example, was what yeah. we used yesterday. Yeah. And so, so it's, it becomes absolutely crucial when you figure out what your genes do. I mean, when I tested mine, I was already leading a healthy lifestyle anyway, but when I tested mine, it kind of reconfirmed as to the reasons why I do what I do. Yeah. And yeah. it made me really, I thought, okay, so I, I have a, a variance, which means that I can't metabolise oestrogen very well. So it puts me at a higher risk for oestrogen um, dominant diseases like cancer, for example, oestrogen fed cancers. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean, doesn't, it's not frightening, it doesn't mean, oh, I need to now, well, think I'm going to get cancer yeah. at all but it means that now I can really take charge of my health and make sure that I'm not exposed to xenoestrogens like the pill for example or HRT plastic bottles the lining inside cans etc so it means that that became a priority for me so it does it does mm -hmm. really change the way that go about everyday life so how, how long does it take to get the results in from one of them <laughs> <laughs> we, can't, we can't wait now <laughs> um, I think it's about a two week turnaround <laughs> quite excited about it. and it's this. a test you only need to do once obviously once it's, for life because that's, that's your genetic so makeup yeah and, and there's different ones, isn't there, for, for yeah. detoxification and yeah. heart. So, so there's, there's one, so I think there's five profiles. There's um, 
cardiogenomic, which is about markers in terms of cardiovascular disease, uh, immunogenomic, which is immune for immune system, uh, estrogenomic, which is about estrogen um, and the metabolism of estrogen. Uh, and then there's detoxygenomic, which is, I think, the most interesting one, actually, which is how you detoxify things. And it also has a certain number of markers in there that actually demonstrate the way you metabolise estrogen as well. And so if you had, um, so you, obviously, there I mentioned Angelina Jolie. <laughs> <laughs> and um, again, it's talked a lot about, you know, in college, mm. about how, you know, just having your bits removed to avoid cancer when actually... Well, it's stupid because the cancer can go somewhere else, can't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And we should create an environment that doesn't, yeah. doesn't you know, Absolutely, feed yeah. cancer. So mm. these are the sorts of tests, if you'd had you know, grandparents and mother, perhaps with breast cancer, you definitely yeah. advocate taking these tests? I mean, I think, I, I'm, I don't think I would definitely advocate if somebody, just because somebody has breast cancer in the family at all. Um, I think, I mean, the, the, there's this, this, is, this analogy of a loaded gun, which perhaps you suggested before, which is just your genes, so you've got this gun, which are your genes, and it's loaded. So it might be a predisposition to breast cancer, for example, but it's the trigger that we're more concerned about. So what allows that gun to go off to allow you to then potentially have uh, a cancer, breast cancer? Really, your genes you're, you're stuck with, but it's what you surround your genes in. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so, when, so I, I, I love genetic testing just because I find it fascinating. Um, and, um, but it's expensive, so not every one of my clients will be able to afford to do it. But if they can, then I, I'm, I would encourage it always because it's just so insightful. But it's not a diagnostic test, so you're not finding out results from the test, you're just finding out your genetic makeup. Yeah. And then if, if something came up that you were worried about, then you would do a diagnostic test. But what it's allowing you to do is see your risk, your risk factors. Yeah. And if you can actually <clears throat> identify them, then your preventative health plan, because that's for life. Yeah. So then you actually, you have firm kind of knowledge and evidence to really focus on the whys, the why you're doing it. You're not just doing it because two fit, a fit couple say that we should be following a <laughs> yeah. fitter food diet. It's you're doing it because my genes tell me that if I don't, then I'm at a higher risk of this disease. So you can actually turn up to a barbecue with the test. <laughs> Sorry, I'm exempt <laughs> from eating this food. I just wouldn't go to the barbecue. <laughs> We actually didn't have one last year. Why would I want to torment myself? We didn't have barbecue last year at all, did we? Because well, no, because I wouldn't be able to enjoy it. Do you know what you know what you can do though? Is if you eat burnt food, then it's inflammatory. But if you drink green tea, then it it brings down the inflammatory marker. So what you could actually do is have your your charcoal meat. Not that I'm really suggesting you do this, but have a green tea as well on the side. Yeah, there you go. Perfect medicine. Never tell him things like that. Never tell him. Problem solved. See. It's easy. <laughs> I, think, I think we should do the last question. Right, so this is the last question. Really good question, and we get this a lot. Mm. How do you crack sugar addiction uh, mm. and chocolate cravings? Eat more fat. And we'll wrap up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly think that um, it often, when I when I tell people to go on a gluten-brain-free diet, mm -hmm. which I, I do often <laughs> tell people to do, yeah. um, they, they're like, well, you know, what am I going to eat? They, there's a, a mild panic that sets in. And, you know, the answer is real food, for a start. Yeah. But if you, the more fat you eat, and, and I mean in terms of avocados, cooking your vegetables in grass-fed butter, 
Um, uh, well, according to the government, though, you should be eating low-fat spreads. Exactly. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other podcast right there. Um, eating, you know, nuts and seeds and, and using uh, medium-chain triglyceride oil and using coconut butter and using canned coconut milk for drinks, etc. Mm-hmm. The more fats that you have in your diet, the more sustained you are, the less kind of imbalances you'll have in your blood sugar levels, therefore the less cravings you'll get the more satisfied you are from your food. And, and so really, we, sh- we should be looking at towards having about up to 60% of our diets every day coming from fat. Which is sort of, it, that's revolutionary to a lot of women who've been struggling now, to be yeah. low-fat. You know, they've got the last, t- I would say about the yeah. last 10 years. And yeah. it was really inter- interesting what you said earlier, because I know I've got lots of friends and, and people I know who, who will eat a really healthy meal, like yeah. it'll be something like chicken yeah. and salad, so yeah. lean protein yeah. and salad, and, yeah. and women are terrible for a little drizzle of dressing. Yeah. And then afterwards go, I need something else. Exactly. Something else. And exactly. that's when they want the sweet stuff. Yes. If you make fat the predominant part of your of your, your meals every day, you, you just, you, you lose all cravings, you don't have cravings. But would, do you not think though, if, I mean, I know if I have a little blowout, you know, I might treat myself to a bit of ice cream <laughs> that that tends to you know i i, I want more sugar you know so, so, so why don't you make the bulletproof ice cream instead have you have you made that have you tried that no <laughs> it's absolutely it? awesome what so it's it? grass-fed butter coconut butter mm-hmm. medium chain triglyceride oil which is yeah. just coconut oil yeah we've got the mct yeah. Yeah. Now one, yeah yeah four eggs i mean this isn't a recipe i'm just roughly telling you yeah. four egg yolks xylitol and that's it and you blend right. it up, and then you can add cacao powder in to make it chocolatey. And then you blend it up, good. and then you, it's, it's amazing. And then you just... Oh, and, then, and then and you freeze it. And well, you, it's well, better if you have an ice cream maker. Which we have. Yeah, great. So then you just, <laughs> <laughs> which you've used once. So then you Twice. can get that ice cream maker out, <laughs> and you can pour that into your ice cream maker, and it's absolutely delicious. It doesn't, it doesn't fluctuate blood sugar levels. You, you From the fat, you feel so... I mean, it's creamy, so it's like ice cream. It is, it is ice cream, effectively. Well, admittedly, when I do have ice cream now, I've kind of upgraded occasionally have Ben and Jerry's if I'm feeling really <laughs> naughty. You know, it's funny, the last time I think you did have Ben and Jerry's was when he came to see you, Emma. And you <laughs> this plan and he That's said, right. I'll start the plan tomorrow. That's my last supper. I thought you were joking about that. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you ate the whole tub. But... I did. Nice. But now I tend to have like a... That recipe sounds awesome, though. Is it that is. eight egg yolks in it in total, then? So there's four, there's four eggs and four egg yolks. Wow. So yeah. four whole eggs. Yeah. That's like a multi Oh, so four whole, four whole <laughs> eggs, cream. then another four And yolks. then an extra four egg yolks, yeah. Wow. So we, the, the brain chemicals that are in there is, is amazing. Because we take egg yolks in soups and stuff and yeah, um, perfect. broth. The thing is, so. the last time I did make ice cream, it, it was gone in a day. You're looking at like five litres of ice cream just gone. Yeah. Because I just thought, you know, well, it's all natural. Need to learn portion control. <laughs> this is very true. But no, so, so increase fats. Mm. And do you agree on maybe if someone's got quite a severe craving towards sugar to go cold turkey for a bit? I mean, I'd, I'd want to know why they're craving sugar, mm. um, which can be for different reasons. I mean, a lot of sugar craving is actually out of boredom. Well, I was going to say boredom, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we were talking about you working in a, as an ice cream man yeah. and eating copious amounts of ice cream because you were bored. So. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly that. Because yeah. like obviously when I was busy, mm. you know, I didn't, a, I didn't have the time to eat mm. the ice cream and, you know, yeah. I was kind of on the go, etc. But I just find that, you know, like I said earlier, when I have, it, when I have sugar, mm. I want more sugar. Yeah. 
Whereas if well, I don't have it, I don't even addictive. think about it. Well, sugar increases our dopamine levels, which is our, our reward neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. So the, the kind of another another trick with that would actually be the more variety you have in your meals. Yeah. So the less you kind of keep repeating meal ideas, the higher your dopamine levels will go. So it's almost like so what happens is someone goes on a diet and they eat you know lean chicken and like a salad or like <laughs> vegetables <laughs> with no <Yeah. laughs> exactly exactly and they have it for the first day and they feel good because they're feeling healthy about themselves and and then the next kind of few days they have the same meal every night because they're on a diet let's say and what happens is is that your dopamine levels start to fall and so then people go, oh, it's just food and they're not really into it then they immediately crave sugar and crave something to increase that dopamine spike. And isn't it normally they need more and more each yes, time yes, to get yeah. the same high out yeah, of it as well? So. Yeah. so would you say to somebody, you know, maybe switch to from mm. milk chocolate to dark chocolate Absolutely, as a way of, yeah. of like step by step rather yeah. than going, I'm just going to cut it all out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I wasn't even thinking about dark chocolate being under the sugar category because I actually think... <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it's a health food. <laughs> it is a health food. It's a supplement. They're, they're, <laughs> it, let's put it in a bottle. It's a supplement. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I read that it was... Um, I think it's called The Hormone Cure. I don't know if you've read that book. She says no. 40 grams for stressed yeah. individuals. It's yeah. hugely beneficial. It is. And, you know, there's studies, and these are, these are amazing studies. They're not just fairy studies. They do exist. <laughs> <laughs> there's studies about them having an effect on improving weight loss in terms of reversing diabetes, um, for cardiovascular disease, for... Wow. Um, Depression and anxiety. I was going to say, do you think it's the antioxidants or the, the actual, the way it makes you feel good? Wow, well, I, mean, I think it's a bit <laughs> it's of both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you feel good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and the way, the way we've gone darker, we mm. found we now crave dark chocolate. Yes, we crave the yeah. cocoa, so we the love raw chocolate. Yeah. And um, if you even like try sort of the le- lesser mm. cocoa ones, I just it's not strong enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like having a weak coffee, isn't it? I still smash a Snickers bar, though. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, really, that's really interesting because I, I don't, I do not, I don't even look at that as food. No, no I don't. No. Like it's... But I, I could have. What I mean is, that I could. Have, I wouldn't eat and go. Oh, that's a bit sickly. I know that. One. I, 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 I'd still be able to eat it and enjoy See, I, it. I just mm. think I looked at it. And think that one, would make course. me feel horrendous. So like yeah, exactly. You, I exactly. don't walk into shops and go. Ooh, no. This, this when you have your treat, which is normally peanut M and M's. That's got, once uh, a year, though. Once a year. At least you've got the fats present. Yeah, I don't know what it is about them. That once a year. They are addictive. I know what it is. They, they are. But we won't go into that. What. Well, what's not to like? <laughs> it's covered in chocolate. I didn't even realise. Normally I pick up on those things quite quickly. <laughs> chocolate covered nuts. <laughs> Lovely. But yeah, once a year. I think it was about a year ago I had, had, must have had those. But they weren't even as nice, actually. Even that's not really doing it for me anymore. Whereas yeah. if, you, if someone made me like a raw chocolate brownie or mm, you know, mm. any sort of different flavoured dark yeah. chocolates and things like that and truffles and like proper ones that we make coconut cream and stuff that I love all that stuff and Mm. I just think if we can have that and it makes me feel amazing doesn't Mm. make me feel exactly yeah and and like crap afterwards so Mm. I think that's making that connection between food and and how it makes you feel after Mm. for those yeah (laughs) that's what I suppose I'll say this one thing and then I'll uh, I'll wrap it up but it's funny how many people do eat things Mm. feel crappy for it yet don't make the association yeah like the amount of people that are 
you know, like I, I, I definitely think that bread doesn't work for me. Every time I eat it, I feel really bloated and lethargic and mm. etc. And they say, well, have you cut out bread? And they're like, well, no. You know, because it's like, well, everyone eats bread. But, you know, there must, there must be another way yeah, to yeah. get around it. It's not the bread. even though <laughs> Or they... another bread. That's yeah. <laughs> what, what bread is good for Well, me? maybe, maybe yeah. I'll try a King's Mill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so on that note, Emma, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, We've actually had a awesome. good old chinwag. And I think... Uh, that is the record for the longest podcast <laughs> thus far, but that's a good Sorry thing. It's that. not a bad thing. <laughs> it's been amazing. I mean, we actually couldn't get through all the questions, so we could have kept going, but we won't. But I'm sure we can get you on another time. Of course. Awesome. But, yeah, just uh, just quickly tell our listeners where they can maybe find out a little bit more about yourself. Um, well, they could go to my website, which is just emmamyhill.com. Um, that's pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. Your Facebook. Oh, yeah, I do. Facebook. I forgot You've got some about great that. stuff on Facebook, actually. Really good stuff. Oh, thanks. Nice. Yeah, so go to my Facebook. Where can page. people get your chocolate? Oh, that's. Um, they need to go to uh, my clinic, which is called Snowsfields Wellness in London Bridge. Um, they either have to visit in person or they need to email the shop to post it to them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth yeah. an email, isn't it? It's worth it's an email. Very good. It's very good. I mean, I think I've tried every flavour now. <laughs> even the prototypes. These these, these aren't even in yeah. <laughs> in manufacture yet, are they? The ones we've no, had today. No, no. That's just for yours, truly. Beautiful. <laughs> I recommend the rum and raisins. So get that one out there quick. <laughs> so there you go, guys. Uh, get yourself a trip to London Bridge. Have a little trot round uh, Borough Market. Get lots of good scoff. Book a session with uh, Emma and uh, invest in some top quality chocolate. There you go, it's a good day right there, isn't it? I'm welcome to that day. <laughs> Alrighty then, so guys, I hope you uh, enjoyed this episode as always. Thank you so much for the questions. Um, sorry for those we didn't get through, but we'll get through those on another podcast for sure. So uh, yeah, uh, ta and speak to you soon. Bye.